Hey, Cornwall Church, uh, happy Labor Day weekend. This is uh, no doubt a, a big weekend for some of you, maybe out camping. Hopefully you're watching there or maybe you're watching after the fact, but it's good to have you with us. You know, Labor Day weekend is kind of a hinge weekend, really, of, of endings and beginnings, kind of seen as like the end of summer, though not technically the beginning of fall and sure doesn't feel that way weather-wise. End of vacation, the beginning, the start of school, which may look completely different this year than uh, what we're used to. But it's also for us here at Cornwall Church, it's another ending uh, because we've been in this series studying the life of Moses for the past 11, 12 weeks, and this is our final week of the series. So the series is actually ending this weekend, which um, is really kind of sad for me. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, this series, and uh, there is so much that we have skipped over that I feel like we shouldn't say goodbye, but see you later, that maybe sometime in the next few years we'll revisit Moses part two and, and hit some of the things that we missed uh, that, that like we can come back and, and fill up a whole other series with things that we haven't looked at. I mean, you think about it. Moses' life, it's recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We've spent most of our time in Exodus. We touched down in Leviticus for one week, last weekend, Leviticus 16, with the goats on the stage, no livestock today, Leviticus 16. As far as Numbers is concerned, about four or five weeks ago, Pastor Kip touched down for one weekend on Numbers 21 when he talked about the snakes. So we only got into Leviticus and, and Numbers when it had to do with animals, goats and snakes. And we haven't even really touched Deuteronomy. And so today, as we end this series, I want us to spend our time uh, touching down a little bit in the book of Deuteronomy. And what we find is that we're going to be at the very last chapter of Moses' life. Again, we're, we're fast-forwarding through a lot of years and a lot of uh, subjects and a lot of lessons that we could learn and Moses is now 120 years old. And I got to imagine, as he knows he's approaching the end, that he becomes quite reflective. I mean, my mom just celebrated her 83rd birthday, like this week. And, and as I spend time with her, as I talk with her, as I eat with her, as I walk with her, she's, she's very reflective. We, we talk about old times and memories and stuff. And, and I can't even imagine being 120. And Moses is probably looking back on his life at some of the highlights, some of the, the wonderful memories, some of the, some of the hardships, some of the mistakes, some of the failures, some of the things he wished he could redo. Probably looking back over the early parts of his life while he was raised like in wealth and privilege. I mean, he had it all, possessions and power, the best education on the planet because he was raised in the very household of Pharaoh, would have at his fingertips all the things that you could ever want. And that chapter, on the one hand, from an earthly perspective, was, was the dream, but that chapter ended on a down note when he saw an injustice that needed to be addressed, and he addressed it in an unrighteous way when he killed the Egyptian which sent him into a second season, which was the, the, like diametrically opposed to his first. So now instead of having everything, he's out in the Midian desert. He's a shepherd, and they're not even his sheep. He's working for his father-in-law. And for many, many years, the drudgery of day after day, calendar year after calendar year goes by. Kind of a low season of his life for 40 years. But it ends on an up note because... He encounters God on Mount Sinai in the burning bush. And there he gets this calling for the final third of his life. And that final third that we've spent most of our time looking at is this, 
this adventure of ups and downs. There were the plagues. There was the deliverance. There was going through the, the Dead Sea. There was the Mount Sinai, the receiving of the, of the commandments. There was the rebellion of the golden calf. There was the breaking of the tablets. There was water from a rock. There was manna on the ground. There was quail out of nowhere. The sky was filled with, with fire and with smoke. There, there's so much in the midst of all this. And now he gets to the end of his life. And the, the Israelites are preparing to go into the promised land. And God says to him, Moses, you're not going. You've led them this far, but you're not going into the promised land because of your disobedience. And he takes him up on a mountain, Mount Nebo, and he says, I will let you see into the promised land. And here's Moses, 120 years old. His life is coming to an end. He gets to look into the promised land and think of how it could have been. And then we see this beautiful kind of tender moment in Deuteronomy chapter 34, where it says this. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. You know, there's so much in this verse, and honestly, I could spend our entire time preaching out of this verse. In fact, I have a whole sermon that I could do on this verse, but let me just kind of run through it. Moses, the servant of God, what an epitaph. I mean, it could have been anything. Moses, the one rescued from the Nile. Moses, the deliverer. Moses, the one who had the Ten Commandments. Moses, the author of the Torah, the Pentateuch. Moses, the writer of songs that angels sing. Moses, the one, uh, you know, who, who delivered them. Moses could have been anything. It could have even been Moses, the friend of God. Remember, he's the most humble man on the planet. And the epitaph is simply Moses, the servant of the Lord. What a picture. And the servant of the Lord, it says, died there. And and I just wonder, this is all speculation on my part, I wonder what that was like. I wonder if, as Moses is there, and he's coming to the end of his life, I wonder if he goes into a sleep, and maybe he has a dream, and maybe in this dream, he sees the promised land, And maybe in this dream, he actually crosses the Jordan and goes into the promised land, and then he awakes, but he's in the ultimate promised land. Or, or, what if he falls into a deep sleep, and he's just got all the memories of life flashing through his mind as he's dreaming, and he he recalls that moment on Mount Sinai when he was at the burning bush, and and he hears those words again, Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And, And when God had said before, don't come any closer, But what if this time God says to him, Moses, come closer. No, no, closer still. Keep coming, Moses. And the bush there on the flames and the glory of God and the very presence is not consumed. He says, come closer still. And as he keeps coming closer, suddenly he awakes. And now it's not a dream, but he's in the very presence of the glory of God. Who knows? It's just speculation. But he dies there. And it says this, that God buried him there. A little graveside service where the only one in attendance is the creator. And as he scoops some dirt away and he thinks, oh, Moses, this body served you well for 120 years, but you won't be needing it anymore. Made you from dust and to dust you shall return. And he buries him. And then this little phrase, to this day, no one knows where his grave is. 
Moses is arguably one of the greatest men, not just of the Torah and the Pentateuch, one of the greatest men in Israel's history, one of the greatest men of the Old Testament, one of the greatest men of Scripture, one of the greatest men of all human history. And he's buried not only in an unmarked grave, but no one even knows where it is. The greatest, one of the greatest men of all times. Not even a tombstone. Remember where he was raised. Remember what he was used to. He was used to seeing monuments like this, where when great men died, they had spent years preparing their burial places so that for years, hundreds, thousands of years, people would know where they were buried. Moses could have had that. Moses could have had a pyramid. Moses could have been buried in a solid gold sarcophagus. Moses could have had all the riches, all the wealth, more so than King Tut. He could have had all of that. But he's buried in an unmarked grave, just covered over by the hand of God. Why would he do that? Remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He said, I could have had all the gold. I could have had all the wealth. I could have had a pyramid. Could have had the burial of King Tut and beyond. But I was looking to something greater. I had had all this world had to offer to me. I had had absolutely nothing in the wilderness. But what was most important was God. Now, that's the last page of Moses' life. And, and like I said, I, could, I, could, I, could, I kind of just did preach a whole sermon. I could preach a whole sermon on that. But I want to bite off a little bit more, a bigger chunk, and look at the last chapter of his life. Uh, you know, I don't think about this a lot, but there will come a day where um, I will be preparing my last series as the senior pastor of this church. I, I don't know when that day will be, but there will come a day where I will preach my last sermon here. And I mean, maybe... Maybe this is it. I don't know. And maybe it's a year from now. Maybe it's 10 years from now. I really don't have a clue. And so don't read into this. Some of you are saying, is he resigning? No, no, no. I, I don't know when that will be. But I thought about how do you prepare that last series? How do you prepare that last sermon? And I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure that I'll ask some guys that, that have retired before me. But I think that last sermon would spend some time looking back and reflecting on the life together, what God had done, and celebrating that, but at the same time, looking forward and talking about the next chapter and what God has in mind and some vision casting. Well, that's exactly where we find Moses at this point. What we're going to look at today is, happens in the last five weeks of his life, and he knows it's coming to an end. The last five weeks, and he's going to preach like his last sermon. Scripture says this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan that is in the Arabah. Now, we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote in the last five weeks of his life. And before we get into what he actually said in there, I want to take just a minute and focus on that book of Deuteronomy. Because, and this is a really, maybe a really bad analogy, because I think the book of Deuteronomy, like, it's, like, way underrated, so if the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if the Pentateuch were a starting five basketball team, and even better, were a championship basketball team, and let's get more specific, were the 96-97 Chicago Bulls championship starting five, 
Many of you know three of those starters in that starting five of that championship. You know Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, and Scottie Pippen. And then there's two, you don't really know who they are, you can't call their names, whatever. So you, you don't have their jerseys, that kind of thing. If the Pentateuch was like those five, then probably Le- Leviticus and, um, and, and Numbers would be the two, like, yeah, yeah, don't really go there. I think, and, and don't take this analogy too far, I think Deuteronomy is the Scotty Pippen of the Pentateuch. Let me explain that. And some of you, just stop right now, because some of you are saying, okay, well, does that make Michael Jordan Genesis and Dennis Rodman Exodus? Because shouldn't Dennis Rodman be Ezekiel because he's so weird and Ezekiel's weird? Okay, you've gone way too far. Just think about this one. Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen was underrated, way underpaid, overshadowed by Michael Jordan, his heirness, and the weirdness of Rodman, the worm, and, and, and he's overshadowed by them. But you look at his statistics, and he was phenomenal. And the reason I say that Deuteronomy is a Scotty Pippen is because it so often gets overshadowed by Genesis and Exodus. But if you look at the statistics, they're phenomenal. Did you know that the book of Deuteronomy is cited or quoted 80 times in the New Testament, all but six books in the New Testament, some have, ref- have some reference to Deuteronomy? Did you know that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and every time that the, sa- the, the enemy, Satan, came to tempt him three times, what did he do? He always quoted scripture. Did you know that all three times that Jesus quoted scripture, he used the book of Deuteronomy? And two of those three We're out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen, even if you don't read the whole book of Deuteronomy, you owe it to yourself to read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Two of the scriptures that Jesus quotes in his temptation are out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when Jesus was confronted with this question, what is the greatest commandment in all of scripture, where does he go? Deuteronomy, what chapter? Chapter 6. And he quotes out of the Shema, which is the prayer that the Jewish people have prayed morning and night for millennia. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Deuteronomy is packed full of amazing things, and it just gets overlooked so often. Maybe we ought to do a whole series on Deuteronomy. That'd probably be a good thing. Not only that, but there are, there are prophecies about Jesus in Deuteronomy that no one ever preaches. You know, we preach the, the Christmas one, you know, there'll be, he'll be Emmanuel, the virgin will be with child, all those things. Isaiah 53, the suffering savior. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, we read these words. The Lord your God will raise up, this is Moses saying, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, you can push back and say, That could have been any of the prophets. None of them had come yet. That could be Isaiah. That could have been Jeremiah. That could have been Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zechariah, Malachi. Could have been. Could have been, yes. But after all of those prophets had come and gone and John the Baptist shows up, look what they ask. They ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you, emphasis mine, are you the prophet? Not Elijah, some other, the prophet. They're thinking about what Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18. Apparently that prophet had not come yet, and he answered, no. Or how about this in Exodus, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, where it says, God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them 
everything I command him. Isn't that what every prophet did? Yes. But is this coincidental or is this fulfillment when it says about Jesus, Jesus said, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. It's the fulfillment. Okay, anyway, I, I could go on and on. Deuteronomy is an incredible book that we don't have time to d dive into. And when our girls were small, I was challenging them to memorize the books of the Bible. And you get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy was one that they got stuck on. So I said, okay, here's how you're going to remember. This little creature, this is a little dude. We're going to call him a duder. And you just think about him crawling up on your head. That's Deuteronomy. All right, so they got Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy, literally translated, is second law. Second law. Now, it's not that this is the law that's been tweaked and revised and made additions and edits and those kinds of 2.0. No, it's a second iteration. It's a repeating of the law. And what you'll find in the book of Deuteronomy is that as, as Moses writes these things down, it's a review and a preview. It's a review and a preview. So here's the basic outline of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 1 through 4, he reminds them of their history. He gives them a, a condensed version of their history. Chapter 4 through chapter 26, he restates the law. You'll see the Ten Commandments in there again. He, just, he says, let's go over this again. Yes, they had the Ten Commandments on the tablet, but those were in the Ark of the Covenant. Now he says, let's, let's get this on another book here. I want to make sure we're really clear on this. From chapter 26 to chapter 30, this is where Moses preaches his final sermon. And this is where we're going to kind of hit uh, three spots in, in chapter 26, 28, and 30 today. He preaches his final sermon. After his final sermon, chapter 31, he passes the baton to Joshua to take the leadership and to lead them into the promised land. Then he closes in chapter 32 with a song that he wrote. He sings this song. It's a closing benediction. It's his swan song. He sings it. Then in chapter 33, he blesses all the tribes. And in chapter 34, he dies. What a way to go. I mean, I think about that. Do my last sermon, hand off to the new pastor, lead a worship song, bless him, and go out and die. I mean, what a way to go. That'd be fantastic. So this is what, what Moses does. Now, throughout this book... There's kind of a theme that's repeated over and over again. And as he preaches his last sermon, I, I remember um, a great book on, on preaching that said, answer these questions. What do you want your congregation or audience to know? Why do you want them to know it? What do you want them to do? And why do you want them to do it? And Moses answers those questions in the sermon. Here's the basic theme that you find repeated over and over again, what he wants them to do. Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. If you'll just do this. This is like the summary of his whole sermon. This is like the, the one-point sermon. Because he knows he's been with them. He knew their parents. He knew their grandparents. He, he knew their propensity to, to wander, to rebel, to stray, to, to get off course. He says, I want you, I want you to love God. And I want you to follow his ways. And he knew that this was a new generation. Some of them, many of them, most of them, had never been to Egypt. They didn't bear the scars of a whip on their back. They had never been enslaved. They didn't know what it was to make bricks without straw. They didn't know what it was to work tirelessly under the blazing sun, under the, under the oppression of Egypt. They didn't know about that. 
They'd never experienced that. They hadn't walked through the Red Sea. They hadn't experienced the plagues. They didn't know about all that. In fact, for most of them, the only thing they've ever known is every day they go up and pick up free food, manna, every single morning. They've never known life without it. All they've ever known is living in the wilderness. And this is all new to them. They didn't see it. They didn't experience it. And the older generation, they had experienced it. And they didn't follow God. I mean, God had said to them, I brought you out of Egypt like on eagle's wings. And the whole plan was, and I'm going to soar you right into the promised land on eagle's wings. But they got off the wings. And here's Moses, and he knows that his time is short. And he's got one last chance, one last opportunity, one last uh, you know, chance to, to express what is so important. And so he gives them this admonitions, these admonitions of, of warning and wisdom. The warning part is that 34 times in the book of Deuteronomy, he says uh, these words or a version of these words, be careful. Be, be careful that you don't follow the ways of other nations. Be careful that you don't forget God. Be careful this, be careful. He's warning them over and over. Be careful, be careful. I'm, I'm begging you, be careful, please. But he also says wisdom, like, hear, Israel. Listen. Remember. Do these things. There's a lady named uh, Ann Smith. Uh, actually, really good friends with, with my folks and uh, my sister. And, and uh, I know her. Uh, we're not close. But she's in her 90s. And she and her husband were missionaries to Japan. And I saw a video of her uh, this, this year and she's addressing, she's in her 90s, she's addressing um, the Alumni Association of, of Anderson University where she went to, went to school. And one of the things that I love about her is just her attitude and her heart. She's just, she's just she's bubbly and joyful and, and overflowing with the spirit and not critical and cynical and bitter and negative. She's just this vibrant life. And she began talking about the younger generations. And here's this, what, what do you call it? Not an octogenarian, a ninogenarian, whatever 90s are. She's in her 90s, and she said, I love talking with the younger generation. And she was talking about how she can learn from them and how they can learn from her. And she made a statement, something like this. I will never be young again, but they have never been old. As if to say, I've got some perspective that can help them out. And, and you as parents, you know that. You've seen some things. You've traveled some roads. You've made some mistakes. You've got some, some experience and some perspective. And, and Moses comes along and says, listen, I'm 120 years old. You know, we started this journey out here in the wilderness before. Most of you were even born. I mean, I spent more time out in the wilderness than you've even been alive. And I know a few things. And so he gives them their history. He reinstates, uh, restates the law and then I want us to pick up, as I said, we're going to look at 26, 28, and 30, just a couple little verses. Chapter 26, verse 16, he says this. The Lord your God, the Lord Yahweh, your God, commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. It sounds a little bit like he's re, uh, uh, restating again the Shema. And he reminds them of this covenant, that these aren't just arbitrary rules that this is a relationship that they've entered into and that this covenant has two sides and he reminds them of what they have done. 
says this in verse 17. He says, you have declared this day that the Lord is your God. This isn't just God saying, you know, I'm your God. You said that. You agreed to this. You said this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey him. This is what you've committed to, and I'm just making sure you're aware of that. But as you know, a covenant involves two parties. That's what you've agreed to. And don't forget this, verse 18. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, different than any nation on the face of the planet. You're not just a rogue group of nomads out in the desert. You are his people. There's a relationship there. There's a connection there. And he is going to care for you, and he is going to protect you, and he is going to provide for you. He is very vested in this relationship. And God is saying this day, don't you forget that. You are his people, his treasured possession. I don't expect you to remember this, but in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, and we looked at this, uh, I don't know, maybe week two or three of the series, when God says, before he ever gives them the law, before he ever gives them the Ten Commandments, when he reminds them, I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. That's where he uses that analogy, that picture, that beautiful word, metaphor, on wings of eagles. It was effortless on your part. I did all the work. And in that verse, chapter 9, Exodus 19, verse 5, and he says, and you will be my treasured possession. As if to say, I said this 40 years ago to your parents and your grandparents, and they got off the wings, and you've been wandering out here for 40 years. Let's try this again. You will be my treasured possession, as he promised, and that you are to keep all of his commandments. Now, there, is, there are some things that are so cool uh, that we don't have time to go into with a couple mountains, a mountain of blessing, a mountain of cursing, and an altar. It's just really cool. Next time. He also says when you get into the, into the promised land, get a big rock and plaster it and then write all of these laws on that rock so that people can see it. So yes, you've got the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant. You've got this book of Moses that he's writing. I want it to be a monument as well. So, so you're going to have all of that. And then he, he just kind of goes into this whole idea of blessing and curses. And really, in, in the next couple of chapters, it could be summed up this way. One of the ways uh, that you could sum it up is, remember, obey, and it'll equal blessings. What he's saying again to them is, remember who God is. Remember who the Lord is. And remember what he has done. Remember what he, what he brought you out of. And remember how he's provided for you. And remember what he's promised. And remember what he said. And remember what he's commanded. And remember what he promised if you will keep those commandments. And remember who you are. You're his possession. His treasured possession. You remember whose you are. You remember what you committed to. And you obey and the outcome is blessing. Chapter 28, verse 1 says this. If, hold on to that, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany, accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. 
So he makes it really clear here. You remember these things, you obey them, there's going to be blessings. He says, if. Now I want to clarify one thing here. Because you could take this and say, well, I thought the covenant, the forever covenant he made with Abraham, the covenant was unconditional. The blessings were conditional. The covenant, the relationship, God promised and swore on his own name. That was unconditional. That would not change. But the benefits of obedience were conditional. Illustration of that, you say to your son, if you'll clean up your room and not fight with your brother this afternoon, we'll go get ice cream. All right. They don't clean their room. They fight with their brother. Are they still in the family? Yes. Well, hopefully you don't kick them out for that. They're still in the covenant of the relationship of the family. They just don't get the ice cream. The covenant's intact. The blessings are conditional. And he says, if you'll remember these things and if you'll do them, I'm telling you there's going to be blessings. And then the converse is true. If you forget and if you disobey, it's going to equal curses. And it uses that word, curses. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be discipline. There's going to be difficulties. In fact, he even predicts, because he knows their history, he even predicts, you're going to mess up. And it's not going to be just a small little oopsie. You're going to intentionally, willfully go away from God. And there's going to be discipline. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 30, he even predicts that they will be taken into Babylon. But here's the grace of God. He says, even if and even when you forget and disobey, and even when the curses come on you, when you turn back around, I will restore you. I will restore you. It's just the grace of God. Anyway, so he says, so, so don't do this. And he gives an example of this one as well. He says, however, here's the converse. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. In 2004, a long time ago, there was a song that came out um, by Natasha um, Bedingfield. It's called Unwritten. Feel the rain on your skin. Okay, all right. Now some of you will get that stuck in your head. Sorry about that. But the whole song is that there's this blank pages ahead of you. There's ink in the pen and blank pages that you're future is unwritten. Now, some of you can debate with me theologically on some of this. That's fine. But what Moses is laying down for the Israelites right now is that, listen, there's some choices that you're going to make. And some of this future is unwritten, and it's up to you. It's not all scripted out, because what you decide and how you live really does make a difference. And you can sabotage your life you can throw away the blessings of God or you can posture yourself to receive them. And think about this. Your parents and your grandparents, they had the same opportunity. They chose fear over faith. They chose to trust human leaders instead of God. And they don't get the blessing of going into the promised land. Are you gonna follow their example or are you going to learn from their mistakes? And then, I, I mean, I, I, love, I love this out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 because it's, to me, I, I find it kind of funny. He says this. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. He's saying, 
Guys, I'm telling you, <laughs> this is a simple formula, all right? Trust this relationship. It's not rocket science. You don't have to wonder, no, don't make it more complicated than it is. I mean, just simply do what I'm telling you. Just remember that and follow through, be obedient, and you're going to see the blessings. You, you don't, don't try to find some excuse because you have to send someone to go find the truth. Moses already did that. He already went on the top of the mountain. You don't need that again. You know, it's some, some weird mystical thing that's way out there. You know, I, I sometimes get tired of, or weary, I suppose, of, of people that, that get so enamored with Eastern mysticism and stuff. You got the word of God right here. And that's basically what he's saying. It's like, don't overcomplicate this. You, you don't have to, to make it more difficult. He says, it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. He says, it's not out of reach for you, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. You don't have to. It's right here in front of you. I've given it to you. It's yours. And so you have a choice that you have to make. Are you going to take it or are you not? It's as plain as day. Now, push pause there. We're going to come back to that. But I want to take us back for a minute to something we skipped over. A lot of stuff we skipped over. When Moses got the law, you, if you were with us, you might remember, there were three kinds. There was the moral law, like the Ten Commandments. There was the civil law, how they were to operate together. And then there was the ceremonial law, the tabernacle, the priest, and all that thing. In the civil law, which is how a nation is supposed to operate, because they never had to be a nation before. They were just told what to do by their slave uh, masters. Now they have to know how to interact. In that, there's a lot of instructions. And there's some jurisprudence, some stuff of how to handle things legally. And one of the things, uh, and I, I promise we'll get back to the story here, one of the things had to do if there was an accusation or if there was a crime, and, and how would that be confirmed? And you find this in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18, 19. He said, here's, here's one of the, the civil laws. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you can't just get a buddy, get them to, to side with you, and come up and say, hey, we saw this guy do this. He says, no, no, no. There needs to be two or three witnesses. Now, again, the system's not perfect, but at least it kind of gives it a little bit of a safety net for, for a couple of people conspiring. This is part of their, their law of how to do things when someone's accused. Moses leans into this one on a cosmic level because he said, you know, it's not rocket science it's not way off beyond the heavens. It's not up beyond the sea. It's right here. It's plain. This is easy. You can, you can understand this. Here it is. Remember, obey, blessings, forget, disobey, curses. Pretty clear? All right, back to the story. Uh, chapter 30. It says this. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. I, I think this is kind of cool. He says, listen, if, if, they're gonna, if you're going to be accused of breaking this, I have to have two witnesses according to the law. I'm telling you who I'm calling to the witness stand. Heaven and earth, they're my witnesses. Heaven and earth, they're completely objective. They have nothing to gain or lose over your obedience. Nothing at all. And on top of that, heaven and earth have been around long before you came around, and they're going to be able to hear long after you've gone. So this one's going to last for generations. There's there some reliable witnesses for generations. And on top of that, if you say, well, no, that's not exactly how it happened, 
There's nowhere you can go that heaven's not above you and earth is not below you. You cannot escape the observation of heaven and earth. And I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. And then he just lays it out. He says, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And it's almost like Moses saying, this is not a trick question. <laughs> you need a hint? Okay. It's really clear. Remember, obey, blessings. Forget, disobey, curses. Life, death, blessings, curses. All right. I'll give you a hint. Now choose life. It seems like a no-brainer to me. But choose life. This is what I want you to do. This is my last chance to address you. I'm begging for your own sake. I'm pleading. Choose life. Why? Why do I want you to do that? I'll tell you why. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his, his voice and hold fast to him. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for this nation. That's what God wants for you. That's what this covenant's all about. That's why he brought you out of slavery. That's why he entered into the covenant with Abraham. That you would be his people and he would be your God. And the whole world would be blessed because you were faithful to him. You see, I, I, I think about this story. And while we don't have the same thing, and we're not Israel in the wilderness going into the promised land, we don't have the, you know, remember, obey, it'll equal blessing. You've got to be really, really careful with that because that can become prosperity theology, and that's not what I'm saying. But the interesting thing is that there were times over and over again when Israel would stray off. That's why the prophets had to come to bring them back around, where they would be disobedient. That's why they had to go into Babylon for a timeout. All this over and over again. And you know what it was? It's the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve. It's the same thing that happened to Israel. It's the same thing that happens to you and me. When God in his word makes it very clear, this is what I have for you and this is what I don't want you to do, we begin to believe like Adam and Eve did, like Israel did, like we do. We begin to believe that there's something we're going to miss out on if we follow God's will, if we walk according to his ways, if we, if we are obedient to his word, that we're going to miss out, that somehow he's going to shortchange us on some experience, some life, something that's great. And we've got ourselves convinced that, yes, God, I know this is your will, I know what your word says, but I think and I want, and we go this direction. Here's the question maybe we need to ask ourselves. It's what Israel needed to ask themselves. When you look at God's law, is it limitations or is it life? Is it God trying to cheat you out of something great? Is it him trying to ruin your fun, to spoil your life, to, to take you into some miserable existence? Or is it God's way in his divine wisdom of providing and protecting the very best for you? I'll tell you what the psalmist thought. In Psalm 19, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, 
making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. He says, is that the kind of life you want? A life that is refreshed, a life that is full of joy, a life of wisdom, of understanding, the light. See, God's law is not about limitations. It's about giving you life. So again, Moses says at the end of this sermon, verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, if you'll just remember and obey, you'll experience this life. And as he's addressing this people that he won't get another chance to address, I'm sure he's thinking, you remember I told the story about your parents and your grandparents. You remember how they failed? Remember how they forgot? You remember how they disobeyed? This is your day. This is your chance. It'll be your choice. And you can change that story. And maybe the question that he should have asked them and we should ask ourselves is this. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell a story of the carousel of consequences, doing the same thing over and over again, mistake after mistake, hardship after hardship, and doing the same thing? Do you want to tell the story of repeated regrets? Maybe the question should be, what story do you want told? What do you want your kids to say about you? What do you want your coworkers to say? You know, she was never faithful. He, he could never, you know, follow God's way. What story? Do you want to tell? And it's not just you. Remember, Moses is knowing that he doesn't get to go in the promised land, but these words are going to stick with them. Earlier in the book, he said this. Only be careful. There's that, that warning. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. This isn't just about you. It's about your family. It's about your grandkids. It's about future generations. And maybe when we're in these moments, when we're trying to decide, do I go my will or, or God's will? Do I go my way or God's way? Do I follow what I think or what God's word says? Maybe we ought to think beyond just us. What kind of impact will this have on our kids as well as our grandchildren? What story will be told? to follow God's way. Okay, I need to stop here, but one of the things that, that I wish we had time to look at, uh, amongst a million other things, is that Moses not only wrote songs, a couple of them, but he wrote the first ever psalm. It's the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms, and Moses wrote it. It's Psalm chapter 90, and I was thinking about spending a whole week on Psalm chapter 90. That's next time around. But he writes these words in Psalm chapter 90. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. From a guy who's made a lot of mistakes that he regretted, 
from a guy who's seen the benefits of walking with God. He says, listen, you've got one life. Gain a heart of wisdom. A foolish heart keeps making the same mistake over and over again. A smart person will learn from their mistakes. But the wise person will learn from mistakes that others have made so that you don't have to go to that school of hard knocks to recognize the truth of God's word and to live in that wisdom. Now I can just imagine Moses gave up all of the riches of Egypt for the sake of Christ. And now just before he dies, he says, listen, I beg, I plead. My last sermon, he says, love God with everything you've got. Remember who he is, how faithful he is. Remember who you are. Keep in step with his laws and you'll experience life. It's a good last sermon. It's a good sermon for us to live that way. They're preparing to go into the Jordan and God will fight their battles for them. He'll be fighting for them all the way through. And he says, there are blessings and curses, life and death, you choose. I pray that we, we would choose to walk in step with God, his word, and his spirit.